Welcome to Grant Seeker Coffee Talks, a podcast for nonprofits to listen and learn from their peers. In this episode, we'll continue the conversation on the Grant Seeker response to COVID 19. This discussion comes from a webinar that was recorded on May 5th. And just like our initial episode, we had several panelists on this recording sharing their ideas as well as responding to live questions submitted by attendees. So let's dive right in and join the conversation. The first voice we're going to hear is our webinar moderator, Tammy Tilsey, introducing our panelists. So let me jump in and start with Amanda. Alphabetically, she's first. <laughs> she's a co-host of Fundraising Heyday Podcast. She's a GPC, which is Grant Professional Certified with over 19 years of experience. She's the board president of the Grant Professionals Association, which I may abbreviate as GPA as I go through this. And Amanda is a total book nerd, self-described, grant geek, and music lover. So thank you for joining us, Kimberly is also a co-host together at Fundraising Heyday Podcast. She is also a GPC with more than 22 years of fundraising in addition to grant-seeking experience focused on health, human services, and uh, hospitals to food bank programs supporting children and adults with development disabilities. We have Joe Miller, um, she's managing director and founder of Smarty Grants. She's also a GPC with more than 25 years experience in grants, fund development, social media strategy, and program design, team development, and online communications, working with nonprofits and government agencies. And then we have Jonna Rogers. She is a founder of Jonna Rogers Consulting. Jonna is also a GPC and, as she described, has been there, done that <laughs> for nearly 30 years. She's helped organizations of all types and sizes address their most critical needs at the federal, state, corporate, and grassroots level. And with us today, who was supposed to be one of our original panelists, is Diane Leonard. We appreciate her joining us today. She's president of DH Leonard Consulting and Grant Writing Services. She's also a GPC and approved trainer of GPA. And when not working with her team on grant applications for clients, Diane can be found in the Thousand Islands on a run or drinking a strong cup of coffee. All right, and today we have a few more panelists joining us behind the scenes. Bethany Planton is also a GPC. She's founder of BMP Consulting. She got her start in the grant field in 2011, has since started her own grant consulting business. She serves in leadership positions in her local GPA chapter, loves reading, traveling, and cheering on the Ohio State Buckeyes. <laughs> so thank you for joining us. Bethany, and we also have Trish Bachman. She's the owner and lead consultant of The Right Stuff. Trish has worked in every aspect of grant program management, design, implementation, and reporting. She serves as president of her local GPA chapter. She loves reading, traveling, and all things Disney. <laughs> and Kathy Hatfield is also joining us. She's owner of Kathy Hatfield Grant Solutions and Consultation. She brings over 30 years of experience with grant development and leadership to her work in the nonprofit sector. 
Her passion is to support and build capacity for nonprofits to better achieve their missions. Thank you so much for joining us. And we appreciate all of the work that you all have done in pulling together the resources and preparing for today's webinar. So Trish, Bethany, and Kathy are going to be helping on the Q&A and chat lines. So they are going to be behind the scenes as we now dive into our panelists and hear what they have to share. Okay, so let's Let's see, since mid-March, we have seen nonprofit organizations impact and respond to COVID-19. And as emergency funding, grants and loans have become available, we see the typical workday and top concerns shifting over this past two months. So Joe, you work in multiple areas. Let's start with you. You serve as a technical advisor for grant makers and grantees, and you're also a grant consultant and trainer. In your experience, how are leaders stepping up to navigate this challenge and meeting their commitments and keeping the organization intact? I'll tell you, it's really tough. And what we're seeing and what we've seen, you know, throughout this is we have kind of two different types of leaders, ones that are really taking action very quickly, even though they don't have all the information, they're taking action, they're trying to make plans, they're moving along, they're pretty nimble, agile. And then we have others that are more wait and see. Let's see how much of a threat this is. Let's see how it impacts our organization. And what we find, so I went and looked at, you know, why do we have this different type of reaction uh, from different leaders? And is it, is it different leadership styles or is it a different type of situation? And, you know, what I found is that it's a little bit of both, but right now we are in an, um, a very unclear, ambiguous threat. And with that threat, that means that you, you have a couple of different threat solution scenarios. One is that you have a, a known threat and a known solution to that threat. Pretty easy, right? You have an earthquake, you know, prone area, you make earthquake resistant buildings. Yay. So you can prepare for that. Then you have the known threat and the unknown solution. We're really not sure how we're going to handle this solution or what we're prepared for. And you work on that. That's where great problem solving skills come in. But when you have that unknown threat and the unknown solutions, that's when people get either paralyzed or they start making decisions knowing that they're going to make mistakes, but they need to take action. So again, we're seeing a little bit of both out there, and I want to put it out there that, you know, there is some research on ambiguous threats. I have a new blog post out about that, and it can really provide you with a framework on how to make decisions and maybe why people are making the decisions that they are making. We are seeing a lot of grant seekers um, new to grants, um, existing grantees going after funds maybe that they wouldn't have gone after before or shifting their priorities. We see funders doing the same thing. We also see people pulling back and trying to do that wait and see. And I would caution against the wait and see. Now is time for action. And what that action is might be unknown, but that's why you're all here. You're taking action. Thank you, Joe. All right. Now, Diane, I know that you do a lot of training and your courses are, are focused on giving structure and best practices and also training a lot of people who are new to the grant profession. In light of this crisis, has, has that changed? Are you given different guidance? Can you speak to that for us? Yeah. So, you know, to Joe's point, 
everyone makes decisions in a different way and during crisis leaders or even just individual professionals make decisions in very different ways and react from where they sit. And so as we think about our work as grant professionals and what that means, I actually got a lot of questions from folks saying, we keep saying grant professionals, we have to be a grant yeah. professional to be successful, right? Like, it's our way that we like to use grant writer because it's more than writing. When we think about our best practices and what it looks like pre-COVID-19 to be successful in grant seeking, quite frankly, it was never just about the writing. It was always about the full grant life cycle. And so it was about readiness and research and relationships, writing. And because you're so good at it, ultimately reporting, right? Because you get the money. That hasn't changed. The life cycle still exists. It's just that there's additional influences and sometimes time pressures that are being put on us by the grant makers, by our board, by our leadership, right? So I think when we think about, uh, actually, it's my favorite meme that comes from International Grant Professionals Day, which we all love to celebrate. The one that GPA always sends out about trust a grant professional, like keep calm, trust a grant pro. They call yourself a grant professional, a grant writer, or anything in between. Our work is to help the team, our colleagues, feel calm. And the way we can do that is by remembering, are we ready? What's our grant readiness look like? Could we be competitive? Our research, are we really ensuring that we're looking at the, the best opportunities for our organization? We should be okay with saying no to applying sometimes, right? That's, an, that's a good thing. Relationships are critical, more maybe now than ever. So having contact with funders whenever possible. That writing, I get it. My kids never liked the fact that I capitalized the R in writing to get all these R's that go around the life cycle. <laughs> They've gotten over it. I'm not giving it up. But so when we think about writing, there's the just part. But we need our colleagues to give us great information so that we are telling our best story, whatever it might be for how we react as an organization in this situation with COVID-19. And then again, because we're doing it so well, when we get the money, don't forget about reporting. Oh, wait a second. What about all the reports that are currently pending with our current funders that we want to have fund us, whether emergency funding or something else down the line? Don't let reports go because that's going to be part of what will help you get to the next part of the cycle. So to me, it all comes down to our role, calm, cool as cucumbers. Let your team trust the grant professional to get you through that life cycle because sometimes it feels like hairs on fire around us. And it is those deadlines. Ugh, we'll talk about it later. But if we can follow these best practices of the life cycle, I think that uh, that's really what I'm trying to help folks share, whether they're new or really seasoned in the field. Let's not forget that as what we bring our team back to. Great. Thank you. That's great advice. Jonna, in the last webinar, you gave some great advice about staying in your lane. And in the list of concerns, I see a lot of people wondering about the future. Should they pivot? They found this new word. Should we pivot or stretch the boundaries of what we do uh, and, and get as much funding now while it's available? Because who knows what will happen in the future? Um, what have you seen? And can you touch on the, the importance of what you meant by staying in your lane again? Um, it is really hard. Uh, when everybody about you, it seems like money is just landing in their lap, that it's coming from the sky and the boss is running around telling you to get the money, get the money, get the money. And, you know, Diane just said, are you ready for that money? 
it, it will have strings. Are you ready to implement? Are you ready to do the things you have to do? And in terms of being in your lane, right now there are still some really key emergency needs, critical life-saving emergency needs. And a lot of that funding is related to that. If you're not feeding people or providing vaccines uh, research or providing PPE, and all of these are things we never thought about before. If you're not doing that, then maybe it isn't your lane. Maybe you should step back, talk about what you can do to help those people who are doing that work. You work in a community, not in a silo. Wherever you are, there are nonprofits around you who are trying to figure this out. And there are ways we can help with that. We can be a, a good neighbor. We, we talked a little bit last time about seeing what someone else needs that you've worked with. And, um, you know, not to get political, but I was watching a couple of times when uh, Governor Cuomo would say something like, if you send us your nurses, we will pay you back tenfold. We need your nurses right now and we will pay you back. And you know what? I believed every word he said because it was this impassioned plea. And somebody in your community needs that from you. I'm not saying chuck your job and go do something else. But, you know, if you've had a partner who's suddenly really struggling in this chaos, it, rather than running around with our heads cut off, let's find a plan to help them some. Not every day. Not every day. We got enough on our plates, right? But don't put more work on yourself to find money that shouldn't be coming to you. Try to make your community a little better and it'll come back to you. Um, the other thing I would say is that we're all very worried. But the only place we have to go is forward. Okay, we can't fix what happened three weeks ago. We can't fix that we're shut down. We can plan, though, for what happens next. And that's our job as leaders from wherever we are. And people don't often see us as leaders. So as, as Joe was saying, are we, are we pushing forward on that point? Are we, are we becoming the professionals Diane mentioned? Are we going to be at the calm people that are thinking six, eight, and 12 weeks out? A lot of times, I don't know about your bosses, but some of my bosses thought, I'm just wacky Jonna running around on a deadline, trying to get it done, trying to get it done. Right now, we, we're the ones taking the breath, saying, wait, calm. We need to move forward with a plan. Even if right now, that plan could change tomorrow, we need to be thinking and moving us out and partnering and building relationships. We have never, ever been able to see the future. We couldn't see it before COVID. We can't see it now. Move forward. Just keep moving forward and find your lane, whatever that is right now. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, Kimberly, there is so much to do and so much pressure to do things quickly. So can you, can you speak to all the, do you have any steps that nonprofits can take that will pay off in time savings later on? I do, and I was swaying gently to what Jonna was saying, like like she was preaching to the choir. I was just like, da, 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 da. so that was lovely, and everyone's um, made some super valid points. Um, 
and timely ones. What I would like to talk about too is on that one of the first polls that uh, Tammy sent out, there were the grant pros, the grant writers, grant seekers, wacky grant people um, were the top ones, but then development people were right maybe four percentage points behind. And I, I think most people who know it might call me a wacky grant pro, but I also was a development director um, for years before starting my own firm and before starting Fundraising Heyday with my buddy down there, Amanda Day. At least on my screen, she's down there. So <laughs> what I would say, if you are in that position where you're either a jack of all trades or development director receiving heavy pressure from go out and get that COVID-19 money, hey, that may not be for you, as John had just pointed out, and that's okay. But I would like to just take you back to a time when maybe you were in elementary school and you passed notes back and forth. Um, of course, in my day, it was just stone tablets and a chisel. You know, we were, it was hard times. But um, <laughs> there was the, do you like me? Yes or no, right? <laughs> and, and, and then you were hoping that your little sweetie would check yes or your best friend would check yes. And they usually did. If not, I'm sorry, therapy. Or, but, um, <laughs> but my point to that is be sure that you're just reaching out to the people who have already checked the yes, I like you, by b being your supporters in the past, by coming to your fun runs, by um, giving you a grant from their family foundation or their donor advised fund or something like that. There's nothing wrong with, at all, with um, reaching out a simple email, um, a simple series of Facebook posts. You can just layer it up together um, like a layer cake and asking first, how are you? And here's what we're doing, and um, here's where we're going, and here's what we think we will need based on everything we have at hand, and we would sure love to, to, to hear from you. Um, I've seen that with some arts and cultural organizations around town. I'm based in the Atlanta area where um, uh, particularly there are two or three community theater groups that I just, I love to go see. I think the last thing I saw was um, designing women and drag and it was fantastic and um, but they sent out just a very simple heartfelt message of we hope you're doing okay we can't have put on our plays right now we think in the fall we'll return with this in the meantime here are some links to things we've recorded in the past if you still have tickets with us please consider just if you can just letting those tickets ride because we need to keep paying our, our staff and preparing for our future productions. So it was like a give and take. And it wasn't, um, it wasn't, we have to drop everything and, and, and we won't be able to do anything at all anymore. It was just a simple, basic communication because I think what gets lost a lot of times in the shuffle is that even if it's a giant, huge foundation and some super overpriced office downtown space with all their, like, I'm a little bitter, with all their, <laughs> like, fountain drinks and all these things, ultimately, it's people that are running that foundation. It's people that bought tickets to your play or your symphony production or your community theater. It's people who review the grants you write. And if you can maybe just think about, okay, the people who've already checked, yes, I like you, your, your donors, your funders from the past, let me just reach out and let them know. Even if there's a grant report that's not due until July, because maybe they relaxed their um, reporting deadlines from your foundation. It's not gonna hurt to send a letter 
or send an email or pick up the phone and just let them know what's going on. See what's going on with them. See if they're okay. What's going on with them? Here's what we're doing. Here's where we think we're going to go. Um, I've seen some of my clients and then some just folks out in the field have great success with that. And I, last time we did spend some time talking about if your event has been canceled, what do you do? Um, and we, I'm hoping we might have time to get to that for people who weren't on there. But some of the easiest things that you could do right now is take language you've already used to describe your history, um, not your personal history, but your organization's history and the community you serve, have that ready. Um, it should exist somewhere. And you're just pulling together two or three paragraphs at a time. This same strategy could also pave the way for applying for some of those quick turnaround um, COVID-19. I love that. That's the, that's the signal. Quick turnaround um, for COVID-19 response where well-meaning funders might give you three days. And you're like, thanks for this opportunity. Oh, heavenly day, what do I do? Well, if you just have just a little one pager, you can at least pull from that. Good news is a lot of these, um, a lot of these short term sort of one and done responses are very short applications. The interesting thing is that often they have very tight deadlines. And I know we have folks on our panel like Diane who have actually been um, grant makers before and can speak to that later. But it's just, um, keeping in mind that communicating with people in very simple, low-cost ways um, that are time efficient could be the best ways around that. And um, I've seen, I'm looking over here at the chat a little bit and people are sharing some really good experiences that they've had doing that. Uh, I can't look too hard because it's going so fast, I'll get dizzy. But I think that gives me a lot of hope that people are um, getting that message. I think it's really easy to fall into an us versus them and it's really not. It's people who are already, who have already come around you, who have checked, yes, they like you. Those are the people that you want to reach out to. From a development perspective, now is probably not a huge time to gather lots of new donors unless you are providing those emergency services that Jana talked about before. But before we move on, I just want to let everybody know that the work you're doing is really important. It's really important or you wouldn't be doing it. And it's still important and it will still go on. We just are going to have to take a minute let people know what's going on. Here's what we think we're going to do and keep that work going because we need human services. We need arts and cultural organizations. And there are some funders that are continuing with their regularly scheduled grant cycles. I might pull back and share that one later. Tammy, I'm not sure how we're doing on time. I know I can get <laughs> excited. But so super quick, some funders are doing business as usual which is their choice, I may or may not agree with it. Some funders are going, nope, general operating to everyone, multi-year grants. We love those funders. Um, and some are doing a split, emergency response and regular program. So in the private funding area, there are lots of different responses, lots of different deadlines. There's not a privatefoundation.gov website per <laughs> se. I know that Tammy has some really interesting things they're doing, but there's no one application There's because it's all private. So if you can pull a little one-pager 
ish thing together about sort of the state of the organization and what you're doing. I think that's a good strategy. And just reaching out to people, regardless of the important work you're doing. If it's not emergency work, it's still important. And just letting people know because there are going to be people who want to give all their money to emergencies. And then there are also people who want to support the organizations, causes, and communities that they hold dear. And that's their role in this, um, in this crisis. So you're connecting. You're just making those connections. And that's also, it's cyclical. I don't know how long this cycle is going to last. This is not my first cyclical rodeo, if you will. <laughs> um, and I know that there's usually an emergency response. And then often after that, there can be a sort of a economic development style capacity building response from foundations. But if you are in a place to either be the development director or help the development director, don't forget about the people who could be your um, major donors. And major donors is not even the word I want to say. Who are your supporters and friends? Um, whether they're $10 a month or $100,000 a year, now is the time to just reach out and do that. Because you know what? They're all at home. If you've got their cell phone numbers and their email addresses, you're golden because ain't nobody going anywhere. So, <laughs> you know, I would just recommend that. Great. Thank you, Kimberly. There's a wealth of information there, and I really like how you, you emphasize that, hey, funders are people too, as we all are people. <laughs> and, and the work is important. So on that line, Amanda, we've talked a little bit about fundraising and, and grants to f private foundations. Can you give some highlights of the federal assistance? I know there's been a lot of news about what federal assistance has been available, is coming. Um, just briefly, you don't have to go into each of them, but maybe I know that you've provided some resources that we'll send out, but can you touch on some of the highlights of what the federal uh, emergency funds are? I'd be happy to. And first of all, everybody keeps talking about strategy. And can I just tell you that my strategy in life has always been to surround myself with brilliant people. So I feel honored to be amongst these ladies <laughs> and um, learning stuff, new stuff with the, all the uh, attendees right along with everybody else. So um, good stuff, ladies. Um, I would say, like I said, we've got a lot of resources. Um, a couple of things I will point out that, you know, the CARES Act is in full effect now. You can always go there and trudge through fun government reading there. Um, a couple of really helpful websites, and I'll throw, once I'm done talking, I'll throw the links in the chat box, plus there'll be resources that Tammy and Foundant are kindly sharing. Um, but there is a great website um, called um, USA.gov, and um, they have, it's USA.gov backslash coronavirus. And what it is, it's the government's response to the coronavirus. And they have tips from housing to travel to health, and there's also a great section on um, grant funding. And it's got, you know, you want to know about National Endowment for the Arts, what they're doing, click here. So, um, and I don't know that they're necessarily doing COVID-specific funding, but that's, you know, during right now, a lot of people I know are worried about the arts because funding is going to so many other places. So there's some really great links there. Um, so I recommend that you check that out. Um, I also recommend, I'm going to put this link in as well, but the Office of Management and Budget about two months ago put out a great memo to all federal funders about the opportunities they have 
to lack some of the requirements. And so mm -hmm. they basically are saying, hey, funders, y'all can do this. And some of them are doing it. Some of them, it's like they've never seen this memo. So if you are receiving federal funding, I highly recommend you know what these options are. Um, and I really suggest that you call up your funder and say, hey, do you know that this is an option? Have y'all thought about it? Because it may just mean you planting that bug for them mm -hmm. to consider. Um, I can give you some of the options. One of the things is they're doing some flexibility with your SAM registration. So maybe it's time for a renewal and you haven't been able to get that renewal in because nobody's at the office and life's crazy. I know I tried to do a grant back in March with a client and nobody knew who was allowed to sign their grant applications. It took us two days to figure it out. Then it took them another day to be able to get into SAM. And luckily we had a week's buffer to figure that out, but it's, it's a process. And so having some of these things lax can be helpful. Um, they're also doing some no cost extensions on awards that are expiring. So if you're in the middle of a grant right now and really need more time, um, that's, they are allowed to offer that to you. Again, they may not just willy nilly give it to you. So you may need to ask for it. So I'll, I'll send you a link to this memo. There's about 20 different things that they're kind of laxing some restrictions on, which is really, really helpful. Um, one other thing I would point out too isn't necessarily federal funding, but something I think we all need to be thinking about is the fact that um, even though we're still in quarantine and social distancing mode, we're starting to see some places starting to lax some restrictions, and I think that's going to affect us. Um, Kimberly and I are both here in Georgia, and we're one of the first states that our governor has decided <laughs> bowling alleys, they're open now, and hair salons, and go do your thing. Um, the nice thing about that is it's it's still your choice. So I, you know, I, I haven't been working on my bowling game as exciting as that. Um, but you did get a tattoo, didn't you? Did you? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, but the thing, but that's easy for me to say as a consultant who works from home anyway. I have that choice, but a lot of people are having to go in. My husband works in local government. He's been an employee that has been going into the office every day, but he was able to let all of his staff work from home. But they've now decided, they, their board, um, council members have decided that they're open City Hall back up on May 11th. Um, and my husband has some employees that are super excited to get back to work because um, they want people again. He has some that would love to, but their children are home and some daycares aren't open. He's also got some employees who are terrified and just don't want to be around people because, you know, especially if you're in the cube world and there is no social distancing there. Um, so I think it's something that I don't know if everybody on the call has any sort of control over when they go back or not. But if you are part of leadership, something to think about is as you start to phase back what works best for everybody. And I really think we're finding that um, a lot of things are work, working pretty well. Tammy mentioned I'm the uh, president of the Grant Professionals Association. I just had a call a couple of days ago with our executive director. They've been working from home and they're thinking about opening back up. But it's like I told him, I'm like, I, as a kind of a client of y'all, um, have not noticed any difference in the services provided. And so I think sometimes we may need to rethink we don't all have to rush back into the office that if you're getting stuff done from home and you're feeling safer that way, stick with it. So there's my preaching for the day. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> so the panelists, have, thank you so much for, for providing those, those thoughts. And, and so we want to get uh, some other quick thoughts in. So we have a couple more questions teed up 
and I know that we have the panelists are looking at questions when they're not talking. But I wanted to also let you know that Foundant has been hosting these webinars for all of our clients. So we've hosted quite a few for our grant maker clients, our community foundations. And so I wanted to share with this audience, you know, what are our funders doing at least, you know. Uh, the answer is, as you've heard, it, it varies. You meet one funder, you meet one funder. But one, some of the things that the takeaways that we've had from those sessions are that the funders are getting past that initial confusion and who could sign the checks and, you know, now we know what we want to do and they're acting right now. So I'm sure you're you're seeing that. Um, many have added disaster funding grants, even if it wasn't a, a previous focus uh, or priority for them. And and as you are connecting to existing funders, you may have seen that they've shifted their existing grant cycle out or extended out uh, grant reporting deadlines. I know that's appreciated, and and you may have been seeing that too. Um, one thing that we've sensed in, in, in some of our more recent webinars with, with the funders is that their support will likely shift from disaster funding mode to more of a recovery mode. So, so be ready for that. Uh, there, this will happen at different times in different areas. As, as the panelists have mentioned, uh, different states are doing things at different times, different uh, sectors will, will react differently um, there. So, stay in contact with your funder and and the thing to note is the funders are better prepared than in the past they've been basing their distributions on rolling three to four year averages so just because the market dropped doesn't mean that their giving is going to drop the same amount they many are just stepping up and and as we saw last time uh funding uh and donations did not drop as much as initially feared so there may be less dollars going forward for capital campaigns right now and grant cycles and the term lengths may be shortened in order to provide flexibility. But we've seen that many of these funders plan to stay close to their mission as they go through this recovery stage and beyond. So they're not all of a sudden gonna leave the, the nonprofits that they have funded in the past. So Diane, I, I know that you've been uh, busy, busy with you and your team submitting grants and seeing this impact of additional deadlines. What what have you seen funders do differently or the same? Well, how long do we all have? Because I think we have stories that are on, all of us do on the line, right? We've got some really good stories and then we've got some not so good stories. And in the chat box and the questions box, I've already seen some of both that are popping up. And so actually I wrote a blog for Foundant talking about recommendations for both sides because I actually started my career as a grant maker at a statewide public foundation. So, I mean, I've been intimately involved with both sides. Neither side is easy, right? They're both difficult, but for different reasons. And so I think, Tim, you did a great job of summarizing a lot of what we're seeing. Some of our good and bad stories actually come from Foundant customers. Right. But so I'm like, okay, I don't want to talk about the bad ones necessarily, whether they're your customers or someone else's, because they're trying to do their best. Right. I don't want to call them out directly publicly. What I will say, and you'll find this recommendation in the blog post, if you find a grant maker making unrealistic expectations, you should say something. Right. Now, that doesn't mean it's always going to work. 
We just saw something pop up in the questions box about someone who had their unused grant funds already awarded pre-COVID asked to be taken back. Right? I'm like, those are sorry. We all just kind of like, oh, pause for a moment. We've heard the stories. I've seen that personally for a client where there was an LOI that had been invited. We were working on the full proposal and the grant maker said, and this is one of the big, top, big, big ones. They will remain nameless. We're closing grant making. Just closing it. If you had an LOI that was pending, you were working on it, done. Pull it back. We'll circle back later and let you know if you could restart. You're like, what? So there's some really crazy things happening. But at the same time, I'm like, I'm an eternal optimist, right? When I am drinking the coffee, you saw me use that big mug a few minutes ago. I I really think, and I know, I believe the grant makers, they're out there to help their communities, right? And they're trying to find the way that's best for them. And so look at their timelines, look at their processes uh, that they're asking of you. They, they think they're trying to get you money as fast as they possibly can, but sometimes they don't realize the burden they might be putting on you. Now, another thing I just saw in the questions box that's interesting, and every once in a while in online portals, we would see grant makers ask for your bank account information. We've seen an increase in that specific question related to COVID funds. And so someone asked a very tactical, hey, DTE, and I lived in Michigan for years. I'm like, yeah, DTE, like the electric provider. Their corporation is one such example. I would have listed another five or six based on just this last week in the work we've been doing. Why are more grant makers asking for your bank account information? It feels scammy and you should be cautious, right? You don't have to worry as much if you're in the foundant portal and they're asking for your bank account information. It's safe. But they're asking for your banking information because they're trying to get you the money as quickly as possible, right? So yes, be skeptical, but understand why they're asking. So ask some thoughtful questions, but that's why they're asking. Because not all grant makers are doing things. Here's a great example, actually from my own backyard. The Adirondack Foundation is the community foundation for the Adirondack region of upstate New York. They created what's called the Sun Fund. So they were collecting money like all the other good community foundations are. And instead of meeting occasionally, they meet daily to talk about what's come in. Daily. Because that's how quickly the needs in their community are adjusting. Well, how often do you think they cut grant checks? Twice a week. Physical checks. That's incredibly unusual too. But it does also then bring up the question, if it's not a funder that already knows you that's in your community that could make sure someone's there to like accept it in the mail and put it in the bank, is there somebody there? Or are they trying to ACH you money across the bank account so it's there to help your nonprofit, right? So I think we're seeing grant makers that are doing things because they want to help. We're seeing nonprofits try to respond because they know they want to, the help, they need the help. They're like, everybody's trying to make this relationship still work, right? But there's some even tiny nuances in what's happening. So my big takeaway is ask questions if something seems suspicious. I saw a bunch of stuff also about sam.gov. It's always free, everyone. It's always free. If they're trying to tell you to pay, it's a scam. But the fact that we're now a little skeptical on the foundation side, right, about banking information, healthy skepticism, ask questions. If you're being asked for things or timelines are being asked in a way that just aren't feasible, ask some more questions. Do a little bit of polite pushback. They want what's best for you as well. So what are we seeing that's the same? 
uh, a fair amount. What's different? Uh, a fair amount there too. And back to our favorite line, just because you know one foundation or even just one grant maker, that's really all that matters, right? That's all that knowledge really goes to. So speak up, use the good stories to bolster you to try and help fix some of your bad. And with that, I'll go drink some more coffee. How's that? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Uh, this this extra work that's being layered on top, it brings up, you know, everyone was already so busy and this is just added to on top of what you were already previously doing. One of the concerns that came up is avoiding burnout, making sure you take care of yourself. And we have a few people on our panel, uh, Trish, Bethany, and, and Jonna, who are really specializing and, and looking into this topic. So, so Jonna, can you lead that discussion and, and talk about what, what, you, what advice you have? Well, yeah, and I think we'll play off each other a little bit. And um, my first thing is just, you know, take a breath. Um, my, my mother was a, not only a mental health social worker, she was also bipolar. And she would say, everybody needs a schedule. And then she'd go, wait a minute. No, let me correct that. She'd say, small children, old people, and crazy people need schedules. And at some point in our lives, we're in that. So get your schedule. And I will, I will admit that I have been very, uh, my friend Bethany talks about boundaries. And, and she has really modeled that for me um, over this time to help me see that, yeah, I, I'm not going to just work all day. I'm, I'm going to take a break. I'm going to go do something else. I'm going to move around, um, set timers for myself. So uh, it, it's really important. And I'm not one that says, oh, but we must take care of ourselves. That's not me. It's totally not me. But a break? Yeah, buddy. I need, I need a break. I, I need to back off. Just sit. Do a crossword puzzle or a jigsaw puzzle. Um, that's kind of... I'm, I'm growing in that area, and, uh, and Bethany and Trish have been great in helping me see little things I can do. Trish, how's this time treating you? What are you finding to do? You're muted. Oh, uh, Trish is muted. I was going to bring Trish I'm off now. Okay, got it. <laughs> there you go. So um, that's really important. It's really important to be aware of what's going on, and sometimes we don't take enough time to just stop and take a second just to reevaluate how we feel and think about what things make us uncomfortable and what things make us comfortable. And sometimes just taking inventory of those two things will let you know what you need to do. Bethany? Well, this was stated over and over again in the first webinar, and I feel like it's um, worthy to bring back that we all – whether you worked at home before or just starting to work at home, now you maybe you have lots of weeks under your belt, but not optimal for you. We are still working at home in a crisis. And so we have to have grace for ourselves, grace for everyone around us. You, you are not going to be working at the level that you were before crisis because there's other things going on all the time, whether you live alone or you have 20 people in your house. Now, I really feel for you if you have 20 people in your house, but <laughs> as someone who lives alone, but 
there are, you, you might be schooling kids. You might be, you're worried about how to get groceries and get all these other things just to live in, in conjunction with getting your job done. So getting, taking, having those boundaries that, that Jonna talked about, very helpful. Um, it might be that you don't, you, there's a time when you're not on a screen, like just shut all the screens down. In one group I was in, we had a discussion about, can you even watch, like, because we're on screen so much and there's so much stress going on, can you watch, like, are you even able to watch a show right now, a TV show or a movie? Can you even concentrate on it or you just need to kind of shut it down because you cannot be on another screen? Um, nature, oh my gosh, nature is such a healer, <laughs> even if it's not nice outside. Um, you know, the adage of there's no bad weather, just bad protection protective gear, you know, they're not the right clothing. So I would encourage everybody to go outside, you know, take some time, again, a boundary, take some time away from that screen, be outside, get that fresh air. You know what, I'm, and this goes right along with this, I've been coming known as the person that reminds you to hydrate. So this is my <laughs> little bit to remind you, here's my bottle of water, it's always sitting by me. Hydrate, hydrate, hydrate. You can't, Drinking water changes can change your whole perspective. <laughs> um, I want to I want to add some one one strategy too that I learned last week um, from one of my clients that has about five hundred employees, so it's a large uh, nonprofit agency. And uh, I was on a call with them, and they were all kind of happy. It was a Thursday afternoon, and they were all kind of bopping around. And one of them said, "Yep, no calls tomorrow, no Zoom tomorrow," and they were they were excited because there were no they have a no zoom friday it is it is this new policy they put in place about three weeks ago how easy was that what kind of morale can you build uh, by just finding something like that you know um giving somebody a free parking space okay wait a minute we can't go anywhere so what if I'm the best employee, I get the parking space this month. I, I don't know what it is. Find the find these little joyful things that you can share with each other. Um, and uh, that no that that no Zoom Friday has stuck with me. Is, is there a boundary you need to put in at your agency with your clients that says, okay, but you know, I I don't do that on Wednesday mornings, or I don't do that at a certain time. There are things we can do. We have more power over ourselves than anybody else does to help our, uh, help our mental health. Thank you. Speaking of working from home and the extra stresses that that puts on, Amanda, can you share with us? I know you have kids at home. You mentioned as we started the webinars, we put our dogs behind cages and secured the bird <laughs> from chirping yes. and all of this. People like, what can we do with kids? <laughs> can you yeah. talk a little bit about some strategies you've used? Yeah, it's hard. I can't go throw mine in a kennel somewhere. So it's going to be in trouble for that, right? Um, no. Trouble. Yeah, just a little bit. Um, I would just say for me, it has been kind of figuring out a new way to live. Um, I'm a bit of a 
freak sometimes. And so having to, first of all, let that go a little bit and also just know that what used to work doesn't anymore. Um, I am very much a schedule. Like I like my kids to go to bed at a certain time. So I have my own downtime and we just had to flip that because my kids are wanting to stay up later. So they do that. And so I just have my time in the morning. And so like my schedule at home these days is I get up, anything that has to be absolutely done during the day, I'm taking care of. And my kids are getting up for like lunch, brunch. That's about, I've got a 15, a 15 year old and a 10 year old are my two at home that I'm dealing with. Um, and so we do, we get up, we do lunch, then we do homework. And I also have um, my youngest, she can do schoolwork all by herself, but she doesn't want to. She wants mama sitting right next to her. And we went through a couple of weeks of battles of me trying to explain to her how I have work to do. I can't sit beside you for three, four hours a day. You're going to have to figure it out. It just wasn't working. So I finally have just readjusted my schedule where I know from like 12 to four, I don't typically do anything. And that's just my time with her to do what needs to be done. And then I'm back to working. So I think it's just really figuring out what works best for you. And hopefully you have understanding bosses and boards and coworkers that know that they're just may the workday is a different, I'm trying not to work all day. Like Jonna says, I don't want to work all the time, but trying to figure out what my time slots are. Um, and that's a little bit easier for me to do as a consultant. I have a little bit more say in that than if I was just a straight up employee. Um, but just figuring out what works. Um, and I'll, I'll tell you, I'm kind of struggling. I'm excited. Our school is over on Friday, so I'm excited. I don't have to worry about digital learning anymore. But now comes the new issue of, well, great. How am I going to keep my kids entertained? Because I'm still working um, and having to juggle that. And of course, daycares are now canceled. Uh, summer camps are now canceled. Um, my in-laws and my parents don't live too terribly far, but they're in that age group where they probably don't need to be around my kids some. And so it's just, it's a, uh, the struggle is real, I think is what I'm saying. And what I'd love <laughs> to end it with, um, because I love everybody's dealing with it. I saw a tweet the other day and I first started reading it and I started like go off, but bear with me to the end. It's from someone, their, their handle is Honest Toddler. It says, a, pand a pandemic is no excuse for excessive screen time. Study after study has shown that electronics are harmful to young minds. And I'm sitting there thinking, oh, Lord, like I can control screen time right now. But they go on to say, I've made the difficult decision to limit my children's iPad use to no more than 14 hours a day. And I hope <laughs> you do the same. And so it just kind of points out that it's just you're doing the best you can. And obviously nobody wants their kids sitting in front of a screen all the time, but sometimes if that's what you've got to do so you can get on a webinar and not have kids running behind you screaming, you let them get on their iPad for a little bit longer than normal. So. I appreciate that. That flexibility is a key to survive and, and uh, hopefully <clears throat> we'll look back on it as remember that time and it'll be fond memories that you remember, hopefully <laughs> that we've been able to spend with our, housemates. Yes. <laughs> so Joe, or, oh, excuse me, Kimberly, previously you mentioned a great list of folks to reach out for funding requests and donations, and they're all very different. Um, and we've learned in the past to tailor, tailor your requests and, and think about exactly who the, the more tailored they can be uh, the, to the specific audience, the more impactful and effective they would be. But Wow, that's a lot of work. So right now, uh, do you have any recommendations on a better way to approach that? I do, and my stance is a little controversial, but I stand behind Ooh, it. Okay. <laughs> you should know, well, so right, I just want to take a minute and talk just about grants, and then 
I can take just a bit, beansy bit to talk just about development. And some several people were asking about capital campaigns, and I actually have a positive story about that too that I just learned about yesterday. So here's the deal. When I'm teaching um, even grant writing, it's not that you can cut and paste every grant application because that's wrong and could lead, lead you down the path. However, there are key elements that are unchanging, right? Like your organization history, like the people you serve, like the community where it's located, like your outcomes from last year. That's not going to change. And so if you are able to, what I'm getting at is what I talked about a little bit earlier, is like a mini baby case statement, not a big, long, scary research paper full of, whoa, unless you are going for multi-million dollar federal funding, in which case, keep start writing. But if you are able to have like a place where you can go to for all of those basic things, then you can lift out pieces and put them in. I am very transparent about that when I'm working with clients now who are not um, uh, part of that sort of COVID emergency response, you know, not food, not first responders, not those kinds of things. But they have um, made a, a slight turn in some of the services they offer in order to continue offering them during this epidemic. I was like, here's the deal. I know, well, I didn't exactly say it like that, but you know what I mean. I was like, here's what we can do. You have this, this, this slight uh, change in the way you're delivering programs and services. Here are four grants right now that, are, that might be good fits for those. We okay all of our thinking on one, then I can just mix and match and fill in those other forms. You still have to make sure you're answering all the questions exactly as they ask them in a way that makes sense. You still follow all those steps and you will have to rework and rewrite but what I found is it's much easier for me and it's less stress for me in a stressful time now to sort of have this bigger info dump of all kinds of things that then I can peel from later to answer um, what are proving to be, at least in the private sector, shorter and shorter applications. So I just want to throw that out there. And um, I would also say um, in terms of that same kind of core information, um, last time we spent some time and there were a lot of questions about my event has been canceled and it was a major fundraiser and now what do I do? Well, that same kind of information, you can pull pieces out of that to develop a communication around a virtual no-show event. I've seen those done from small scale at a, a school. It's actually the school where my husband teaches. They had a, um, they usually have one of those silent auction get-togethers things. Um, as an introvert, I am, that is just a, the outer circle of hell for me, but I went and supported. And I was so sad that this year they put it all online and it became, they actually raised almost the same amount of money. They were just really clear about what they were doing and why and how things had changed. But the kids still needed um, sports equipment and new uh, tech for the classroom and all of those things. The, um, so being able to take that information that you already have, that you already know, and reconstruct it to fit different audiences, to me, is actually less stressful than having to reinvent the wheel every single time, because there's some things that are bedrock that are not going to change. But what will change 
maybe what you're doing differently now. You're working from home. You're doing um, service deliveries. You're doing telehealth. You're doing things versus um, face-to-face. But again, that communication of getting that out there and letting people know. And I also have had some clients go, oh, well, but we're going to, we've just postponed our event. And I'm like, I feel you postponement and I understand, but don't you need money now? I don't actually snap my neck quite so much. When I, <laughs> sorry. I'm sorry. I, ho- I'm, I have a fear that I'm going to freeze and I'm like, you know, but, um, <laughs> but you need money now, right? So this goes back to the connecting with people and explaining what's going on. Now, if I'm not talking about foundation funders that have a formal process that they may or may not change, but I'm talking about smaller family uh, foundations, donor advised funds, um, individual givers, people who've been your steady givers, people who've come to your fun runs or your pancake suppers or your five-star gala event, you need money now and people are reasonable and they understand. Um, And so for one client, it was a combination of that. It was, here's what's changed. Here's what we're doing. We're not having our annual tournament. We'd like for you to, um, if you can, consider supporting us because we are in this transition. We're changing equipment. We're having some different tech costs to continue delivering services um, to our community. So that same core information used for those multi-layered messages, used for shorter asks because there was some emergency funding out there. And it's just sort of having, having that on deck always makes me feel calmer. Um, and knowing that I have a place to go to. So maybe as a grant professional development director, one of the things you can do, because there probably are a lot of people running around going, get that money, get that money, get that money. And it's like, let's talk about what it is we're doing. And then we'll, we'll be in a much better go for it. And the final right. thing I'd, I'd like to say about um, uh, the capital campaigns, um, I was on the sort of the train of, well, y'all, with your capital campaigns, now's probably not the time. But I was schooled majorly in the most beautiful way. Yesterday, a friend of a friend, um, a, a colleague who's retiring, asked me to step in and help this agency. Um, and they were working on a capital campaign, you know, and this, this dear friend, I didn't want to be like, oh, are you, oh okay. But um and I, I looked at their website. Then I started talking to them. Well, it turns out they just landed. A, I don't want to. Yeah, I'll name the foundation. It's the. It's the. It's in Atlanta. They only fund in Atlanta. Okay, so just only Atlanta, only. Um, the John Bulow Campbell Foundation, old foundation, been around for a long time. Only funds capital. In the middle of all of this, they actually met with this new client and granted her a grant and made it a challenge grant, which then freed my inner grant-seeking pirate to want to set sail for some big Mac Daddy money for some big Atlanta foundations that have not changed course. Look, all those nautical things. Had not changed course in the way they were giving funding. So for people who who were, I, I just saw the the chat just zooming by about, Oh my gosh, everyone's changing their focus. Not everyone. Yeah. And you would be surprised. And I'm not saying that everyone's capital campaign is going to be sunshine and rainbows, but you still 
need to do the things you need to do, your work is still important. So I think it's just sort of riding out those bumps while foundation people try and figure out what their right thing is to do, being prepared as best you can, but know that some funding like that is is continuing on. I wish I could tell you exactly who, what, when, where, and how, but I can't. So um, I guess the final thing I would recommend is just... um, figure out, you know, get, I'm just, I've been an email fool. I have signed up for everything at grants.gov every morning. It's like, good morning. There's some funding for frog research in Guam. I don't even care. It's like, just give me the information. Nothing about, nothing about frogs in Guam. Just an example. Um, Give me the information. So if you're comfortable with, with synthesizing a lot of information, if you're good at research and detail work, this is your shining hour. Because you can help sort out the wheat from the chaff, and you can help funnel those things where they need to be. And one way to do that is um, signing up for these different communications. And you don't have to be on Zoom to look at them, right? They can (laughs) come to your inbox. You can have a filter and send them to a folder and look at them once a day or twice a week. Um, So... As much as you can, give yourself the time to understand that there's a little bit of a learning curve. If you can get the, 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 the few ducklings in a row that you can um, right now, your important work will still continue and there will be people who will fund it. It may not be the foundations right now, but it could be the family foundations and other donors who have always supported you if you're able to sort of step up and just do some gentle uh, communication. Great. Thank you, Kimberly. Joe, can you tell us a little bit more about that leadership that you talked about and how it plays in, in situations like this? Sure, sure. And I want to be really, really clear. And I think Jana mentioned, touched on this. I kept hearing it throughout, but of course, I know all of you and I know how you feel about this. Leadership isn't just in your title. And in fact, there are a lot of leaders that have, uh, or lead, I'm going to put your quotes here, uh, people that have leadership titles that aren't necessarily leading. Um, grant professionals, we have a history of leading from within. We're leading from within the organization. We're leading from within with our heart. We have a skill set that is desperately needed right now. And there's there's nobody else, I think. Well, there are. But let me just, for the sake of this particular webinar and all of us being here together, there's nobody else more prepared than a grant professional for what's happening right now. And why do I say that? Is because we're always working with the unknown. We're always trying to project out with a small amount of information. You may be writing a grant to say, we're going to accomplish this in three years. You have no idea. You have a small idea, but you, you don't have, you're not really grounded in that. You know a proposal is a proposal. You know you have to use the information that you have right now and that information may change. And your funders, for the most part, know that too. So as long as you're having that kind of communication within your organization, with other leaders, with other organizations, you're going to stop that kind of paralyzation that we're seeing where funders are like, oh, we're not going to fund anything. We don't know what to fund. We want to make an impact, but we don't know how to make an impact. Start talking to them about that, that this this is okay. We're going we're gonna to continue to make an impact. Our clients might have a different need, and we're going to continue to serve the same people based on our mission. We need you to be our partner in being flexible going forward. And I saw a lot of questions in here about how are 
our experiences with foundations and with other grant makers and with success stories. And like Diane, I now work with, um, I work on kind of both sides, the grant consulting and grant seeking, but I'm also working as a, as a, I'm a, senior technical advisor working between funders and then giving out funds uh, through another organization. So we're negotiating with our large, you know, federal uh, funders and large, large, well-known foundations, and then with our grantees that we can advocate for them. And I'll tell you, we have a federal grant. we have some partners and they, we need to extend our work. And we asked for a small extension because of this delay so that we could get that. They said, okay. They said, we'll give you a little bit of money. I think it was like, you know, it was a small amount of money, um, single digit thousands initially. And then within 24 hours, they came back and made a significant change and said, no, we want you to be funded for the rest of the year and we want you to be funded at a level so you can continue doing what you're doing. There are, and that's a federal agency that we think of as having not that kind of level of flexibility right now. And they're an agency that's really, really important right now with what's going on. And we're not dealing with that. We're dealing with housing. Now we're dealing with health and housing. We're dealing with policies around health and housing. And what are people doing? They're at home. They're being exposed to unhealthy things in their home. So we're able to communicate about how it's relevant now, what will happen in the future as we are able to test more, as we are able to go into these houses, as we're experiencing more asthma and lead poisoning and other things that happen within the home and what we need to do about that. So as an organization, if you're communicating, like Kimberly said, with your funders, if you're taking the lead within your organization to use those grant professional skills to talk to them about what you see, what you could do, what type of funding's out there, and being hopeful, optimistic, and realistic at the same time, I think that you'll find that you can move forward. Um, one of the things that, that we found in that uh, research that we did about these ambiguous threats is that teams are so important right now. It's not just leadership. Make sure that the organization is looking at the experts within the organization. And those experts aren't necessarily your board members. And they aren't necessarily your director. As leaders, for those of you that are directors out there, if you're not including the program people, the people that are on the ground doing the work in your plan to move forward, you're missing a huge opportunity. You're missing the leaders that are on the ground within your organization. So don't make leadership be tied to a title. It's tied to skill set and it's tied to innovation. Great. Thank you, Joe. Sure. Um, I, I'm going to go from Diane to Amanda to Kimberly and, and John and then Joe and, and ask you to, if you've seen a question that has come up multiple times that hasn't yet been answered or if you have some parting words that you want to, to leave people with to remember, to emphasize. Um, Can you give us a a two-minute summary of that? And and Diane, can you start us off? Sure. So the same word that popped out to me from the questions that people filled out and like sent back with the registration is hitting me in the questions box and the chat. Change. Impact. How will this change? What's going to, like, and a lot of it, I'm like, oh, I'm a child of the 80s. My magic eight ball, it just doesn't work in this situation, right? And we all wish that each other could help, whether we're a seasoned or a new grant pro, we all wish that we had the crystal ball or the magic eight ball. And so as I think about those questions and the concerns, to Joe's point, the unknown threat. So we need to remember 
that this is not a sprint. I love scrum. Everybody that knows me knows that. This isn't a sprint. I'm a runner. This is not a marathon. This is an ultra marathon that we are all involved in. So whether you're new or seasoned in the field, we are in the middle of something that's a long game. We're not 100% sure because it's going to be dark at the end of the ultra marathon or at some point during it, depending on how fast you are. You might, there might be a rock, a hill. We have no idea, right? A lot of unknown things. So it's not just about being agile, like capital A, big agile in our, the way we respond and make decisions, but really about the way we're agile in our strategy and in how we interact with our colleagues and the grace that we give to ourselves. Uh, I think that's what's going to help you personally and your organization come out in one piece. You might look a little different, maybe a little bit muddy at the end of the ultra. Okay, I will stop with the running. I'm, I couldn't help it. The running yeah. analogies are done. All right, but it's going to be a long one and we're in it together, but give yourself grace. Thank you. Thank you. Amanda, what, what are you seeing and what's your advice? Um, one of the things I've seen, even not on the chat box, but before, uh, folks just talking about being a one-woman grant show, and I totally understand. I worked for a city for 12 years where I was the lone grant person, and I think the answer that was the same then applies now is you're being overwhelmed with, go for this, go for this, go for this. Not every funding is a, is going to fit what you're going for. Even the ones that are, not all of them are going to, even if you're eligible, doesn't mean you're going to get it because it's going to be highly competitive and maybe you don't check every box. Um, so I think it goes back to having some hard conversation with those that you report to of, okay, here's all of our options. As the grant person, my best advice is these are the couple that we are most likely to receive are going to be the best helpful. So let me focus my time here and doing a really, really good job. And I have a higher chance of getting them than trying to spread myself thin and do all of these. Um, just because there's just only so much time of the day. And I think we all have to be understanding of that. Um, both for people working for us and for our own selves. Um, and one other thing I'll go back to, and I think it's kind of been hinted out by some of the panelists, but I do think we need to be mindful of the fact that just because the money's there, if we don't need it, don't go for it. Um, several people in the chat box I've noticed have mentioned um, Voulet and his nonprofit AF blog. One of the things he often talks about is the hunger games, that kind of the, if we don't get it, you know, it's, it's there, we got to get it because you never know we don't need to be doing that. You know, if there is, I have a client that she was like, Hey, I keep getting sent the stuff. She's like, we're okay right now. And there's a lot of nonprofits that aren't, I'd rather forward it to them and tell them about it and let them go for it. Cause we don't need it. And I think that's something we need to step back and think about too, is do we really need it? Or are there 12 other agencies down the block from us that need it? And maybe just be a kind grant professional that you share the wealth. And I think, I think there's enough to go around if everybody just calms down and focuses and figuring out what's the best fit for you. Thank you. Thank you, Amanda. Kimberly. Hello. Fundraising, other things. What, what is, what is the key point that you want to leave people with? It's tricky for me to choose just one. They're like potato yeah. chips, right? But yeah, <laughs> but I would just say, and I actually, I saw someone in the chat go, Oh my God, it's like a fire hose. It's like, keep doing what you've always been doing be ready to change and all of the, and there are all these webinars and it's like you know what you're right there is a lot going on and a lot of it is unpredictable and if you're an arts or cultural organization or education based or um, um, some human services that aren't emergency response 
It is so easy to feel left out or unimportant. And it's also easy to make yourself crazy watching webinars all day on all the things that you should be doing. So I would say just know that these are tricky times and it's completely natural to feel overwhelmed. And if you are experiencing Zoom or webinar burnout, Bethany can help you get outside, take a break and focus for when you come back because the basics of human connection and fundraising and even grant seeking hold true. The difference is everything is unpredictable in terms of when will those opportunities come up? When will your operations be able to move forward or will they be forever changed? So just know, just take a minute. You're doing super important work and the work needs to continue. It might change, but please, if you can be nice to yourself and not lose the, the fact that this emergency situation will not last forever, these things go in cycles, but the basics of human connection and sound writing, clear communication, persuasive communication skills, written or oral, are all the things that are going to serve you well as a grant professional, but also as a leader, and maybe right now, helping leaders lead. Maybe that's um, a way to move all this forward. But again, I just am deeply grateful for everyone who's shared all their information. I learn so much from others. And every time I do something like this, I learn a lot and I feel good about all the good work that's happening. And I hope you do too. And I hope something good happens to you today. That's it. Thank you. Thank you, Kimberly. I, I feel that. And Jonna, how about you? Uh, well, I, I want us to all remember to keep our superhero capes handy. Um, there are a couple of things that have popped up today, but one is, you know, I, I may not be able to, to help the food bank right now, but maybe, maybe I can answer the phone for them and maybe my agency can loan me out to do some paperwork. I don't know. I mean, that's a, that would be an awesome thing for leadership to say, let's, let's share our grant pro one day a week to help them do something. That would be an awesome thing to do. But my, my most worrisome point that I've seen today has been, and I've seen it for weeks, is how are, how are we or what if we can't survive? What if we can't survive? Well, I want you to replace that phrase with, what if I'm hit by a bus? Okay, I, I, it's a great question. But when we, it, it's also too heavy to handle. It, it's too much. Don't focus on will we survive. Keep looking at your mission. Keep concentrating on moving forward. You know, it, if it will be true that some of us, as my internet says it's wonky, some of us may get better at this as we go. But this is just a break. It is, by definition, a crisis and it won't be the same tomorrow um, in another life I was a Lamaze instructor some of my friends don't know that I was a Lamaze instructor and one of the things we used to always tell our moms and, and this is true for those of you who had babies that contraction you just had is never coming back there may be something else coming but that one's gone forever and whatever we're facing right now, this minute, it's not going to be the same tomorrow. 
It's not. And we just need to be calm, thoughtful, planning, and moving forward. That's all we can do, whether it's facing a bully, whether it's a, a bad workplace environment, whether it's a crisis like corona. All we can control is us. Where do we need to be so that in a week, two weeks, six weeks, we're still moving forward? It will not look the same. We don't know what it's going to look like, but I'll say it again. We never did. We never knew <laughs> what it was going to look like. True point. True point. Thank you, Jonna. Joe, do you have a few words of advice and summary and closing, closing to share? Sure. sure. There, there are two things I want to talk about besides, you know, now I have a whole nautical pirates running a <laughs> marathon thing going through my head. I, I don't know how to take that forward, so I'm just going to set that one aside. And, you know, again, back to leadership. All of you are leaders here. You would not be in this webinar. You would not be here with us. You wouldn't be asking for a third one if you were not a leader. We know that there are so many questions here, very specific questions, and we want to get to those. We'll do – we'll, I think, parse out – I'm making a plan here – parse out some <laughs> blogs. We'll parse out some other ways to answer these questions, and we will get back to you um, if we didn't answer your question today. So – um, one of the things, you know, I, I did not know that about Jana with the Lamaze, but I, they do know here that I was in the Air Force. I was AirVac MedTech, and one of our themes that we always said, we had to work in teams. It didn't matter who you were. You were always the leader at some point in time. It didn't matter your rank. That has always stuck with me. The other thing was that we, we constantly said rigid flexibility, rigid flexibility. And that's what we all need right now. We need to continue to move forward. We need to believe in our organizations and be really rigid about our mission. But we need to be flexible about how we do our mission, how we do our work. We're going to get really tired of the words pivot and new normal, but those are things that we need to be thinking about. We, I just saw um, there's a letter out from um, a bunch of different governmental associations asking Congress for funding for security so that they can continue to do remote working past this time. Um, I just heard our uh, uh, um some research that um, they found that the social security uh, folks are, are much more productive at home and um, they're looking to continue to do remote working. So don't think that the way that we're doing business now and Zoom burnout is going to go away anytime soon. It is going to be part of the new normal. I love the suggestions in here. If you didn't see the hat week and hairdo week that everybody's doing. So fun. Create those teams. That's part of leadership. That's part of reducing burnout. That's part of being a team and being able to move forward is having some fun things that you're doing together. Thank you all here. I learned so much from each of you. Thank you all for being leaders. Thank you, Tammy, for having us here in Foundant. Um, I wish we could answer all of these questions and get to them now, but I think that there's a request for more. And I, yeah. I know that you guys are all dedicated to this. So, Tammy, are you going to let us? Yeah, <laughs> I, I love it. Should we come back a third time, a three-peat? I'm thinking it may be in the cards. I really appreciate all all of you as panelists and especially Bethany uh, as well as Kathy and Trish haven't talked as much, but as you have seen, they have been active keeping us rolling. Um, that's one of the things we learned to, to make sure that we have those, their words of wisdom and the resources going out to support all of the key points that all of the panelists have shared. And, and here at Foundant, we continue to see those indications of the silver lining 
that I mentioned at the end of our first webinar, and we see the sector learning and willing to learn from each other to, to hopefully tear down these silos, quick response, more alignment, and fighting the crisis together. So this need and desire for trust, it continues to grow, and that gives us all hope that we could come out of this crisis better than before, taking all these tips that you have shared. This philanthropy is a beautiful, uplifting, powerful, influential sector to be a part of. It is being called on ways, it's been called upon in ways that it hasn't been before, and we are seeing it respond, and that is so inspirational. All these stories of good, good things happening, and that's all part of you. So on behalf of the panelists and all of us here at Foundant Technologies, thank you so much for joining us. Take care, be safe and healthy. We want to be here and be an important part of the solution. And again, we thank you and take care. So that was our conversation. There were so many ideas and so many new ideas because this is a new situation. We're going to keep bringing you conversations like this following the coffee talks that we host online. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast. You can look for announcements on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn by following Foundant Technologies. And we want to hear from you. Unlike a lot of podcasts out there, you can participate yourself by registering for one of our Coffee Talk webinars. You can register for a webinar or access additional resources by clicking on the links in the episode notes. So from everyone at Founded Technologies, thanks for listening. We hope you found it helpful, and we can't wait to connect with you again on our next Coffee Talk 